Welcome to the BFE Podcast. I'm Jessica King-Bernstein. And I'm Randy Baker. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk about exits. We're going to talk about more exits. We're going to talk about startups. We're going to talk about funding. We're talking with Josh Chodnovitz from Fundify. And Jessica, what did you love about this interview? I loved hearing what his favorite F word was because it is not what you think it would be. So I guess we're going to have to wait to the end of the interview to discover what Josh's favorite F word is. So yeah, stay tuned. Listen up. You're going to enjoy this one. Here's Josh Chodnovitz from Fundify. So Josh, you have a really interesting background. Is that a picture? What is that behind you? It was just a piece of art here that we've uh, been collecting. And I think my wife decorates this place. So oh, <laughs> yeah. she does. Do you guys collect art at all? Uh, we, not, not in a big way, but we do have art around the house. A lot of original art in the house and in the office. And so. Oh, yeah. Big fancy names at all? No, not really. He just likes he likes how all the shades of green set off the nice blue of his shirt there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that was planned apparently, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, it works. So tell me, Josh, you know, what exactly is Fundify? Kind of what do you do there? What's your role? Well, I'm the founder and CEO here. I uh, I started Fundify. Fundify is a marketplace to help entrepreneurs raise capital and also to help startups. I'm sorry, help the startups raise capital, but also to help investors invest their capital into this alternative asset class. Cool. And what's your role specifically? I'm the CEO here. So do you meddle with any day-to-day or do you kind of stay big picture? Oh, we're uh, we're a small startup. We've got 10, 12 people here. So I'm into all of it. I'm into the details as much as I am into the high-end stuff. And I've had experience with kind of starting a business from the ground up and, you know, and, and that does evolve over time, right? So you start, you start at the, uh, in the early stages, you're doing a lot of the details. And as you get bigger, of course, um, you know, the more people you have on staff, the, the, the more they're taking care of things for you. And so you're handling perhaps uh, more visionary items and spending more time on some other items. Mm-hmm. And what's your favorite part of what you do? Favorite part? Oh, goodness. Well, I love building things. So I feel like I play with Legos every day. And uh, so I'm still a kid here and enjoy every bit of what I do. And that's why when the family goes to bed at eight or nine o'clock, I'm still I still got a whole day ahead of me to work. And uh, and it starts over every single day like that. So I'm just really fortunate to be doing what I love and love what I do. That's a nice that's a nice mental picture now that i've just met you i've got this great image of you at two o'clock in the morning in a business suit on the floor playing with legos that's (laughs) so that's what you that's what you do for a living basically basically i mean i I, uh, except for wearing a suit my goodness it's so rare these days but um but yes playing and building right so we're constantly building the platform building features building uh, there's so much to do that that we're constantly working on and making something better here yeah. So that's, yeah, I find myself doing that every day. Awesome. So tell me the Josh story. How did you get started, you know, and how did you end up where you are today? Well, depends how deep you want to get into it, but I'll give you a high level and then we can go deep if you want anywhere. I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur when I was a little kid because I was seven years old and, and I learned that a chicken lays an egg every day. I said, wait a second, my mom buys those eggs for $1.50 a dozen at the grocery store. So chickens basically lay dimes. 
And, uh, and so I bought myself 70 chickens and uh, built a little coop in the backyard in Chester, New Jersey, and started selling chicken eggs to the neighbors and made up contracts. And that year I cleared $3,000. And, uh, and the rest kind of just continued to grow. The following year, I was eight years old and hired two of my brothers as my, essentially my first employees, if you will. And they delivered I, those. I have to, I have to slow you down for a second because this story is amazing, but you said Chester, New Jersey. That's right. Do you, you call it with, with the R you say Chester? Chester. Yes. There's, it's you not see, like Chesta <laughs> or, or is that the jersey in me that's supposed to come out? I have no idea. I was just really surprised that there was an R on the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> like water. Sorry. Like water. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, you know, I, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. I think that's the you South hired Park. your brothers. You hired your brothers, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, just basically everybody doing a little bit of work. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family where my dad was he was an entrepreneur by trade, meaning he built homes for a living, and, and that's how he made his money. He spent his time at the church, pastoring a church, but uh, there was not much money in that. And, uh, but he spent, uh, like I said, he, he worked hard and really did well for himself. And so I, I kind of lived those ups and downs as a young kid. And, and so through the years, I just had businesses that, you know, I was trying to figure out things and figuring out what, uh, what I'd do next. And out of high school, a couple of years out of high school, uh, a buddy of mine that I met in first grade, Mike Marston, called me up and told me, hey, Josh, I know something that very few people know about. And this was in 1994. He said, the Internet's going to be huge. And I said, what's the Internet? And um, we started a conversation around what we could sell online. And much like what's behind me, we sold reproduction artwork. We sold this is not a reproduction, but we that's what we started with. We sold posters and prints on at first, we started a co the company's name was allwall.com. It was actually pokers.com to get started. We eventually turned to allwall.com and then then bought our leading competitor, art.com, from Getty Images. And then later ended up merging with allposters.com and building the business uh, from there. So, I mean, obviously, there's a lot in there to talk about if, if that's of interest. But to get to where we are with Fundify, uh, after I left the day-to-day -day of art.com, I started making investments in startups and saw some good success in that and then started really evaluating the data behind startup investing in that as an asset class how lucrative it is and so when you look at all the data that's in there if you're in a diversified portfolio your returns are quite high in the upwards of almost 30 percent annual returns and that's throwing darts at a dartboard and so i i was with the advent of kind of the coming on of uh, equity crowdfunding and the Jobs Act and the laws that change that allow everyday investors to get invested without having venture capital, right, minimums of $10 million or, or, or a million dollars or even, you know, smaller funds might let you in for fifty dollars or $100,000. But for most people, that's too much money to get into a fund. And why should they be precluded from, you know, being able to earn those types of returns, which is exactly how you get out of you know, not having much is investing what little you have and doubling down and continuing to, you know, to keep that invested and saved. And, and so with that, we decided to build a platform that's Fundify and Fundify uh, allows uh, essentially the, the democratization of investing, right? Allowing anybody and everybody, whether accredited or non-accredited uh, retail investors to invest on Fundify as little as $10 into a, into an offering and getting uh 
a piece of the future of a company where there are people there that are working hard each and every day to build something big and you can earn real multiples on that if things go well, of course. That's it. That's in a real nutshell there, but happy to dive in. So, Josh, it's only been recently, a few years or so, that um, people have been able to invest if they're not a, an accredited investor. Is that correct? So That's right. Yep. Do people know this? Has the, has the education for the average person allowed them to learn that they can actually invest in startups and they can actually invest in you know, the Google of next year? That's part of the challenge that we have in the space. So I would say, uh, first off, it really investing started about five years ago in 2016, but it was very, very hard to come by. Even the laws that were written were confusing, even to those who wrote them, meaning some things contradicted themselves, but they've been developing and getting better, even with some law changes as early as this past, as late as this past March were changing, allowing you to raise up to $5 million through an equity crowdfunding campaign. Now, we had seen those changes happening and it is moving pretty quickly. This year, we just hit in, in aggregate over the last five, six years through equity crowdfunding offerings, we just hit our first billion dollars that was invested now. And so the money is starting to grow and it's growing in a very rapid triple digit percentage uh, year over year. So that means the world is starting to pay attention, starting to wake up to the uh, viability of this asset class and the fluidity of people making investments in this spot. So people are becoming educated in this and realizing, hey, wait a second, I can put a small amount of money, and that actually is a smart way to do this, uh, to put a portion of my assets invested in the alternative asset class of startups and whatnot. And you know what you, if you look up firms like Andres and Horwitz, I mean, they're saying that all the money is to be made now, no longer in the public markets. The real money is being made private. It's being made when you invest early and you hold until the public offering or until the exit, and then you buy it. Because once public, once companies are public, they're earning eight to ten. Per, those equity investments are earning eight to ten percent a year, uh, and those are actually good returns. Meaning that's a good spot to put your money versus bonds. And and again, all in an asset but diversified portfolio, properly thought through. But uh, this asset class returns significantly bigger than that if you can get into a diversified portfolio, meaning you have to get into quite a few startups in order to do that. So tell me a little bit about your passion, Josh, kind of what drives you, what motivates you? Is it the money? It's definitely not the money. I mean, although I did want to build something that could potentially be a lot bigger than art.com, right? In art, we satisfied uh, over 20 million customers, paying customers, and lifetime at the company, we did over three billion, in, or just shy of three billion in sales. And so we had a really great business. It was wonderful. I knew that whatever I wanted to get into next, I wanted to have try to have something even greater impact, right? Which often comes with more money and, and whatnot. Now that wasn't the driving force. I really genuinely love building things, and in particular, if you give me something really difficult, really hard, something that's never been done before, or or you're seeing a vision of what the future will look like in this future here. Uh, what's shocking to me that is that venture capital started in the 70s. And yet in the last 50 years, technology is not really been has not really come into play as it comes into investments. If you think about investments, I mean, you can invest uh, started with like E-Trade and and now maybe the, the, the big tail is, oh, we can do Robinhood. But really, that's just investing in 
in those assets that are publicly available in a different way. Do it through your app. Uh, it's 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 fee free. There's some things of that nature, but the asset class here has not been brought to the to the average everyday American. And even those that were condemning or talking really talking a lot of trash about equity crowdfunding a few years ago, now you see the venture world, you see the bigger investors coming in here, and they're saying, "Wait a second, this is a great way to see great startups and find them early and get a piece of that and get a you know toehold in and, and be able to watch them as they grow and invest and double down as the industry grows. So what gets me going every day is building something in a market that's growing really fast. I mean, this is, again, I, I talked about equity crowdfunding is uh, growing at triple digit percentages. Well, that means if you are average in your industry, you're going to grow triple digit percentages. Well, that's a pretty good spot to be. Now, I don't plan to be average, uh, and, you know, I plan to crush that. And so that's, that's, but that's a nice playing field, right? Where that, what's that saying? The, you know, rising tide raises all, uh, raises all boats, if you will. And um, so that kind of talks to the extent that money is moving into equity crowdfunding at a very, very fast pace. And I'm glad to be there and to be involved and to be uh, a part of trying to make that happen. So for young investors, kind of what advice would you give them if they're looking to kind of dabble in this space? What I would tell them is, first of all, whatever amount of money you want to invest into this space, if you will, into this alternative asset class is I would diversify that. So most people think, okay, if I've got, let's just say even on the low side, $500, let's say, and I want to invest. Most people think, okay, I'm going to find a good startup and I'm going to put $500 and I'm going to cross my fingers and really hope this works. When the reality is the that's a very risky endeavor and it could pay off really well for you and you could end up with you know your $500 turns into a half a million and that could turn in but but what you really want to do is you want to diversify that investment and and get into in my opinion get into 50 50 companies at $10 a piece and that first of all the education that you'll learn is amazing you know I, I made investments into startups where I put way too much money to learn the same exact lesson you would have learned if you put a very small amount, right? That this was a bad idea, or I thought this was more important than this was, and I didn't take this into account. And so those learning lessons are just the same. It doesn't really, to a large extent, it doesn't matter how much money you put into it. And so you can learn a lot from that. And it's a, it's a wonderful experience to put $10 into something and, and to watch to see what happens there and to build your portfolio. So the first thing I'd tell you is I'd congratulate the person that they're thinking about investing, saving and investing, because this is how we get an economy that's going to be a lot stronger, right? Investing in the future and building instead of just spending everything you make. And, uh, and then secondly, you know, investing into the asset class diversified is just a very smart way to go about that. And, and of course, this wouldn't be all your assets. Right. You'd, you'd want to think you know, carefully about how you how you invest. The negatives of investing in this startup asset class is that it's highly illiquid. Once you in, once you put your the average investment is somewhere between five hundred and a couple thousand dollars. And, you know, when someone puts a thousand dollars into a startup, it's completely illiquid at that point. Right. You can't get your thousand dollars back. You've given it to the company. They've given you a piece of paper or a digital uh, a digital certificate. Right. That you own something. And now you, you're, you're waiting. So if you want that, that, if you bought Apple stock, you can just trade that right back out and you can go and buy whatever you want to buy if you need to or pay a bill that you have. Uh, when you invest in this asset class, you've invested and it's a long-term effect. Maybe, maybe you'll see a return in two to three years. The reality is more of them are four or five years and the trend is getting longer, but the returns are strong. 
And you just have to be, again, diversified and be able to wait for the long haul. So it is for a portion of that asset there. So I've heard all those words before, Josh, The except for illiquid. I, so I, I, I'm sure Randy knows that word, uh, maybe Jessica too, but what a cool word. Uh, when I was in sort of science class in second grade, um, I think if I had said illiquid instead of solid, I think I would have gotten in trouble. Uh, but in uh, in this w- new world of sort of NFTs and, and does something exist really? Does money exist? Does anything really exist? Is that kind of what illiquid means to a, a layperson? In a way, yes. But illiquid really is about once you hand over the, the capital that you have, whether that's, you know, cash at this point, you, the U.S. dollar, and you're, you're giving that to a startup, they're giving you equity in that business. And it's not a tradable asset, meaning you can't go and trade out of it tomorrow like you might do with a share of Netflix, right? You buy Netflix, you can trade out tomorrow at whatever price it's at. Uh, but here you can't trade out of it tomorrow. Once you invest it into the startup, the startup has it, and you've made a commitment to that startup. And that's the negative of, that's one of the major negatives to this asset class, right? But that's part of why you get significantly higher returns, presumably, right? Is that you're saying, okay, I'm willing to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to really make this a long-term play. I'm going to put my money to work and let, let the years kind of compound on themselves. And let me, you know, let's see what we can make happen. And if you choose wisely and, and end up making the right investments. Hopefully, you're looking to invest alongside experts, which is what we offer at Fundify, to try to invest alongside others that may know the space that they're in. For example, I started art.com. If you've got an art company, a digital art company that's starting something, and they're looking at raising money, I'm probably going to be well-suited to take a look at that offering, right, compared to many others, as I've looked at hundreds and hundreds of balance sheets and financial statements and companies in this space, because I have now seen many decks from startups where art.com was the exit strategy, right? We were the company that we were going to buy them, and we bought several uh, along the way. Now, so I'm going to have a good sense of that. Now, if you offer me a healthcare startup and show that to me. Now, from a business perspective, I might have some insights on what this might work. But as soon as you start getting into any of the real the real meat of what we're talking about, I'm going to be completely lost because I don't have the health experience, the healthcare experience. I don't know how to really run something through an FDA approval. I don't, I don't know where that world works. So what you need is you need someone else that has had that experience and has spent decades of their life building that in the past and, and see what they have to say. And and more often than not, they tell you why the baby's not as pretty as the, you know, the founder thought it was. And uh, because they've seen five other companies like it that do something similar and tell me why it's so interesting and so unique. And they've been drinking their own Kool-Aid, right? Now, when, when uh, someone with some expertise actually puts their money where their mouth is and says, whoa, this is really interesting. It's got some real profound uh, possibilities to it then I'm going to put my own money into it and maybe even invest some of their time advising the company. That's a really good sign of future success. And we have seen data that shows that. And uh, so again, that's where you want to put your capital in. At least that's how I would recommend it is to be thinking along, finding people that know what they're talking about, invest alongside that. But also you can be investing in things that you know something about. You may have something that you like to drink or something that you like to, you know, a product that you would say, oh, I would use that product. Right. Well, that's a good sign. I'm sure Jessica is going to say smarter things than me. I chime in with weird stuff. 
But can we talk about that ugly baby concept for a second? Is that a is that a meme? Is that a thing <laughs> that like if you're if you're a founder, you're like, no, 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 my baby's beautiful, <laughs> even though it's ugly. Is that a thing? You know, by the nature of you're you're with something, you're with and building something all the time. You find the good things that are inside uh, inside of what you're building, and it takes the difficult questions sometimes to challenge what you're building and what you're making happen there. To say, truly, tell me why your business is going to be significantly better than your competitors. And often, as an investor, as I've evaluated opportunities to invest in, those questions have been really hard for entrepreneurs to answer. And it is a hard question because. Uh, it's hard to build big business and it's hard to be extremely successful in the world. And, um, and often people aren't willing to even put the time and effort that's, that is necessary to make that happen. And so there are a lot of challenges in there. And, and so they convince themselves that they've got something, you know, really good. So for example, I'll give you an example. When entrepreneurs have meetings with prospective investors, and then they come back and they tell me, oh, I had a really great meeting with this, in this investor we had lunch together. He loved what I'm doing. He loves me. It, all this, you know, positive stuff has come out of it. And look at these connections. They want to introduce me to somebody else, possibly. This is really great. And, uh, and then you ask the ultimate question. There's really one question is, you know, well, the questions are, do you have a follow-up meeting with them? Because that's really the goal. And then two, are they investing in your opportunity? If the answer was, they'd like to wait six months and get you a little bit more traction. Let me tell you, that is a simple no. Okay, that means no. That means everything else was before the but, right? And then they give you the real answer, which is no, I'm not investing. Therefore, I'm not compelled by what you're doing today to actually invest. Now, that might be a mismatch of investor, sure. But if that's the answer you get all the time, often I have entrepreneurs come back and they say, how great is that? Like, uh, this is a really, no, that's actually a complete and utter failure, if you ask me. Now you have to find in order to prove your concept at all, you have to find someone who's willing to put the money in. And because that's when you get the real success happening. Yeah, the investment community has more ways of saying no without using that word than anybody else I know. It's crazy. And, and so, many, um, so many founders get excited because it wasn't a no. But it, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't anything. It was just a, yeah, not for us. So that's the that is the ugly baby thing. I mean, when you see yeah. an ugly baby, it's you know, you gotta say all kinds of stuff without saying it, right? Yeah, it's that's a great analogy. Nobody says the baby's ugly, but but they do tell you, Oh wow, how long this baby oh how how long have you had this baby? Right? Or how long maybe now most babies really are actually really cute and really you know, but the, the reality of that is nobody would ever tell you that your yeah, baby's but they, not. they all look like Winston Churchill for the first few weeks anyway. So <laughs> I know I'm so. sitting here thinking I've got my own six month old, right? Maybe people are just telling me he's cute <laughs> to my face. Uh, good grief. <laughs> cool. So the name of the show is called BFE. Big F and exit, right? So I'd be a little remiss if we didn't talk about exits and spend a little time on that. So let's talk about your exit specifically and kind of what led up to it, how you felt about it. Give me some details there. Well, which exit? We're talking about art. Is that what we're chatting yep. about? Let's talk about art. Sure. Yeah. Well, art had a lot of a lot of uh, interesting opportunities over time. Uh, uh, we had situations where we almost sold to Michaels. 
uh, the arts and crafts store. We um, mm-hmm. we started filing an S one at one point to actually take the company public. The company went through ups and downs, and in the in the latter years, uh, we ended up selling to Walmart. And ended up not being a, a you know a complete. It wouldn't be the story I would write. Let's put it that way. So it's it's uh, you know Walmart doesn't necessarily buy things for exorbitant amounts of money. You know things turn out the way they do. I wasn't running the company anymore. I was on the board, uh, and we watched that. Uh, kind of we watched the that happen, and the company ran that and built that, and and it is what it is. And so it's um, Walmart now owns Art. Yeah. So that's a. What questions can I answer for you? <laughs> no, that's all right. Maybe if you can give us some advice. So let's talk about maybe three things startups should do if, if they want to build to sell and, and get an exit. Well, the first thing I, I would say, and I, I, I lived by this for so many years, I'm living by it now, is I don't build for to sell. So I think if you build to sell, I think that's a recipe for disaster because you're actually setting yourself up to with an exit that you say, okay, I'm going to sell to this company. Now, what if that company just for whatever reason decides not to buy you? Uh, well, now what? Right. The fortunate thing that that we've always been able to do in the building of my businesses has been let's build a profitable business or uh, you know have an eye to that. In art, we were really fortunate because when we started the business, we bootstrapped it with thirty five thousand dollars. Did go out in the early days trying to raise two hundred and fifty thousand, which nobody would give me. I was too young, too inexperienced, didn't know what I was talking about. And the, you know, and I already shared the the biggest question I got back then was what's the internet? And literally that was legitimate. Right. And so we had to build our own shopping cart. We had, we had to do everything from scratch back in 94, 95, 97. In those years, this was, um, you know, Amazon launched in 95 to give you a perspective. It was very early and people wouldn't invest. And then Later on, tried to raise a million dollars. And again, nobody would invest, but the business was stronger and bigger. And so we just had to keep building. Eventually, we raised our very first round. I like to joke, it was our seed round and we raised 58 million. And that was because we already had a business that was crushing it. It was highly profitable and we were dropping money to the bottom line. So what does that mean? We had literally had no, we did not have to sell, right? We were perfectly happy with waiting another month and that would mean more cash would be in our balance sheet, right? More cash would be sitting there in our bank. And we found that the more we took that cash and reinvested it in the business, the more we'd grow. And we'd continue to do that without dilution. Uh, so that's what we were fortunate and able to do. We did eventually raise over $100 million at, at ART and can, to build what we had. And the reality is that when you're building your business, build something that has real sustainable value. And then you'll find the exits will come to you. Good things will happen. Uh, good opportunities will come. And at worst case, what you've built cash flow that you'll just make more cash, right? And so I understand in this day and age, that's not necessarily an easy thing to do anymore because a lot of fast growing, especially in technology, a lot of fast growing technology requires a lot of heavy losses in the beginning because you're making investments into the future of what you're building. But I do think that there are certain businesses that offer that and the ability to balance those things and to really think hard about what you're building and what value. And and so to add to that, I'd say if you are looking, you know, selling the business one day or, or whatever it might be uh, from an exit perspective, there are often there are lots of ways to exit. You can exit, obviously, through an IPO, which is becoming less frequent these days, but you can exit through even a partial sh- sale of your of your stock. So you can sell some of your stock and, and get equity for that chain, essentially a change of ownership. 
you take some of your shares and give them to somebody else and they give you cash. And you can you can take that cash and it bolsters the balance sheet of the business, but there are also occasions where you can take some money off the table and have some liquidity uh, using liquid versus liquid. You can have some liquidity for the founders or for executive team members and allow for uh, you to have a, you know, a life where it's not a situation where you're having a hard time paying the mortgage, but you're, you know, multimillionaire on paper. And so that's happened way too many times, right? And so allows you to have some of that um, that cash for yourself personally, which also can help the business because you're in a better state of mind. So I think of, that's how I would think about exits in particular. I think about building business for the long haul uh, with a longer term approach always and not for short term because things change very quickly. I would, I'd also say raising funds, um, I would raise as you can, meaning like if you've got an opportunity to raise at a reasonable valuation, that's not a terrible way to go about it. Um, there are questions about control and who actually has control of the business. Those are things I would take seriously. Uh, and I think through uh, the model, because those are all exits. Those those are uh, partial exits, whether that be money going into the company or even being able to take some money off the table or repurchase shares from current shareholders. Um, and allow you to build. And, and to the extent that you have the ability to have multiple exit strategies or, or exit possibilities, that's a good thing, right? Because so many different ways that this can happen and that the business can be um, liquidated eventually at, at some point where you're getting cash for your shares or, you know, whether, like you said, through public markets now, now the private markets are becoming more uh, of a situation where you can exit Right, more M and A's transactions than ever before, and and uh, so that can turn into positive situation. That, did that answer your question, Jessica? Yeah, that was perfect. Going back a little bit, though, um, you had mentioned that you had some trouble early on. Is that kind of why a little bit more why you started Fundify? You know, to kind of help others who are in that similar position. It's part of the reason for sure, because what I did is I experienced this situation, which I knew I had a great idea, and I knew the internet mm -hmm. was going to be big. The, the situation was though. To give perspective, in 94, 95, about one out of 800 Americans had an email address. That means if you had an email address, there was nobody you could email because you didn't know yeah. anyone that had one. Right? Yeah. And so the reality was you're stuck in a situation where you couldn't see this. But if you start seeing this, wait a second, if all these people have email, if everyone was to get them, would we use this? And, you know, you're like, I don't know. And I'm thinking, uh, Yes, I would. I'm already chatting via, you know, some homegrown chat system that we built because we didn't at the time we didn't want to spend 10 cents a minute on a telephone call because that's what we, that's what we were being charged back then. Now, you know, the world is evolving and so you're seeing the changes and what's happening. And and I think often great ideas come from those entrepreneurs, those young, creative kids that have no you know inhibition. Right. They're not inhibited by some thought that would tell them this will fail. They're thinking, no, this is going to be the next biggest thing in the world, right? This could be huge. And what if you actually did this and this and combined that with this? Uh, that could be something big, couldn't it? And most people would look at that and say, uh, that sounds like a terrible idea or no one would ever use that, right? My, for example, my grandfather used to, all when I told him about this idea about art.com, you know, he would say, why are you selling posters? Nobody needs posters you should sell groceries, you know? And he goes, because everybody needs food. And he couldn't see that. Now, he's right. Groceries are a great business, right? <laughs> but that wasn't conducive to the internet, you know, in the early stages. Now, 
Nowadays, if you look at like an Amazon where they're delivering groceries or others that are delivering, uh, they've taken care of a lot of that through the logistics scenarios that they have. But um, that wasn't what we were thinking about, right? It's, it's, I liken that to the, you know, Fred Smith who started FedEx. And I, I love his story where, you know, he, he did a, it was a college paper, uh, you know, and his vision for a business was to, you know, eventually be able to deliver anything overnight to someplace else anywhere in the world. And he got a C minus on this paper. Because, and, and the main piece of that was, well, good luck. That'll never really happen. It's not really feasible, right? And that was in the 70s and the 80s and, or whatever it was. And, and the reality is, well, obviously, he built something there and was able to see that vision through when others couldn't, right? And uh, that's, where, that's where the greatest ideas come, right? When Uber started, people were thinking, wait a second, you're, you're going to get into like a regular person's car that just has an app? They don't have any license or anything? That sounds like a recipe for disaster, right? So many bad things could happen. And uh, as a matter of fact, that did happen with meaning so many people um, wouldn't invest in Uber in the early days because it was inconceivable that the world would run like this. And but yeah, you get into a yellow cab, no problem. Right. And so it's a uh, it's an interesting dynamic. And clearly we're all using that now. Right. And so mm. it's it's kind of seeing the future of what's happening, what's being built what is going on and can you integrate yourself into what is what you're building going to be part of that? Mm -hmm. You mentioned it takes vision. So what's your big vision for Fundify in the future? Well, we think we're, we're building the technology solution for all of capital raising and capital investing. So we're using technology to accelerate this space and to create an, an atmosphere. I think we finally have the laws that have changed from the 1933 securities laws that were meant to protect the average everyday American, but yet precluded them from investing in uh, in these highly lucrative asset classes. Now those laws have been changed and repealed, and they're putting some things around that to make it better uh, and protect them. And so we're FINRA regulated, we're a SEC regulated firm. We want, now we can trade though uh, private securities with cash, and so that's a good thing to be regulated because now. You know, we know that we're bound by certain rules and regulations, 600 plus pages of documents that tell us how we need to run our business in an effective and an honorable way to keep people safe from what they're doing. I mean, from what's happening in the equities and sale of equities in the world. But at the same time, allowing, you know, I just find a lot of I love the idea of helping everyday Americans increase their net worth by making investments in startups. And by the way, it's also pretty fun. It's like building Shark Tank for the average everyday American to invest in these companies that you watch on TV. You can watch them, you can watch back and say, ooh, that guy's gonna make a lot of money investing in that company because it's good. Now you'll be able to actually invest in those very companies. Uh, no matter you know how little you have, almost every American can invest. Uh, and uh, that's the idea, so that gets me really jazzed and I wake up early and go to bed late because of that, because it's fun to do that. That's amazing. So this is going to be the most important question that I have on this podcast here for you. And that is, what is your favorite F word? My favorite F word? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I don't know. What are answers you've gotten so far? <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten so many. However, I want to hear yours. <laughs> I don't know. I've never really thought about that. Uh, the, the first word that comes to mind is probably not a funny one. It's just family. <laughs> But I, I'm just trying to think. I, I don't know really what you're getting at there. But no, that's uh, great. Family is great. You know, I do. I, I spend all my extra time with my family, with my three boys and my wife, and and uh, I do love spending time with them. And I, I am building a uh, 
you know, a business that they're very integrated with. They know what's going on. They're watching what's happening. They're learning the, uh, you know, the power of hard work and what's happening. And, and you know, that's going to be part of their lives as well. But um, I am now curious to what all other people are saying. I mean, we use the word fire sometimes around here because we like to just build things and, you know, make make uh, great things happen. But I don't know. We, we're doing a, and we do a lot of uh, uh, fundify alliterations with the word with words that are F. <laughs> yeah, because, if, uh, if I was a if I was a betting man, I would have been put everything on the fact you would have said fundify was your favorite F word. But family's good, so yeah. Well, fundify was a great. I, I bought that domain on a on a trip with my family across the country in an auction. Nice. And so my wife actually bid on it over the phone and paid three thousand dollars for this domain. And I knew that one day we'd be building something just like this, right, to democratize funding essentially and and allow people to invest. So anyways, it's uh, obvious I do like the name. I, I do think it, it encompasses what we're doing and uh, and what we're building in a good way. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Josh, if our audience wanted to uh, get in touch with you or learn more about what you do, um, where would you direct them? Well, I tell them really uh, fundify.com. Uh, they can sign up there. Accounts are free. You can you know, just sign up and you can see what's going on. You get to watch the the campaigns we currently have 14 campaigns on the platform right now yeah 14 i think that are three that are live investments and 11 that are you can make reservations into campaigns that are about to go live shortly and uh another 10 to 20 that are in the pipeline coming here and we're excited about the offerings that we you know that we have coming up and um and that we have and that people can get involved there and and uh, we'd love to hear from them. We'd love for them to reach out to us and talk to us about what's there. I uh, would love to hear from them as far as great startups they might know about. Uh, they might be involved with startups that are looking to raise money and also the investor side of things that you can get invested for uh, small amounts of money. And, and uh, it's an exciting I, I'd encourage people to start to start doing that in a small scale and, and watching that because you can build a little portfolio and have a little fun uh, doing that as well. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Sure. Thanks, Jessica. I appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate your guys' time. So thank you, Josh. I really enjoyed hearing that interview with you. I love the advice you gave to, to startup founders to build something that's got some longevity, to not build to sell, to not keep your eye on on the exit but to keep your eye on how you best serve your user base or your customers keep them in mind mm -hmm. and i also loved that at the end you mentioned family you know building family trying to create and instill that work ethic and that drive in your children as well so the bfe podcast is all about exits all about startups all about funding and growing your business and getting it big and one of the things that we have created is well it's a new thing called our resonate engine you'll find it at resonateengine.com now there's two e's there there's an e at the end of resonate and an e at the start of engine there's also a couple of other e's as well but go to resonateengine.com listen to the video you'll see that we've come up with a way to help you build your business, help you gain credibility and authority, help you find clients. Mm -hmm. Come and see the magic. Come and see the magic.